Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Our mission is to strip away the myths and hype that often surround the aesthetics industry. Inside Aesthetics aims to get to the bottom of the important topics that concern medical and allied health professionals, as well as the consumers themselves. We'll be showcasing the thoughts and experiences of experts in their respective fields. Each podcast will focus on a specialty, including surgery, non-surgical procedures, nutrition, well-being, and business knowledge from the personalities that have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general educational information about cosmetic procedures and well-being. It does not promote or endorse any cosmetic procedure, brand, or product. You should seek professional medical assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Dr. Lisa Friedrich. Dr. Friedrich is a specialist plastic surgeon and fellow of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons. She completed medical school at the University of Western Australia, graduating with a Bachelor of Medicine and Bachelor of Surgery in 2000. Dr. Friedrich commenced specialist training in plastic and reconstructive surgery in 2008 and was awarded her fellowship in 2015. Good afternoon, Dr. Friedrich. How are you? Oh, good, thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having Hello. us. Hello. That's sunny. Is it Wednesday? Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> you don't even know what day the week is <laughs> That's anymore. That's how busy it's been. <laughs> so today we are talking about hair transplants, among other bits and pieces, and you're a plastic surgeon mm-hmm. located in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, so we tend to start off our podcast with just getting our guests to just tell them a little, tell our listeners a little bit about themselves, what you do, what your practice makes up of, so we can just get an understanding of who you mm-hmm. are. So It's the warm-up phase. Take, take it away. <laughs> All right. So I've uh, initially trained in Perth, um, then did six months in Melbourne before um, finishing my training here. Love Sydney. So yeah. I've been here, I think, for about seven years. Um, um, I'm mostly just working in private now. I did a couple of years in the public hospitals. So now I'm mostly doing um, cosmetic plastic surgery, um, a few skin lesions, but hmm. not really. Most of my patients are breast revision patients. Um, I don't do as many augmentations. And I, I have... Um, some uh, body lift patients and um, also some gender patients, mostly female to male with um, mastectomy surgery, but I've had a few male to female um, patients, mostly with augmentations, but a little bit of facial um, feminization procedures. Great. That's another podcast that we can get you back in for immediately. So I also do non-cosmetics. I I don't have a nurse injector. Um, I do all my own injectables and um, we're looking at getting a couple of little additional machines when we have our new rooms but um fairly mixed bag what are the machines you've you've i know we're looking at (laughs) um well well, i'm looking at getting a liposuction machine for the office which number uh, one like a vaser type not a vaser vaser is a bit of everyone it's a motorized yep Motorized one. Um, Am I right in saying if you're going to do it in office, there's a certain amount? Yeah, a certain limit. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, there's a safety limit, but I think it's two and a half litres and that's a lot. That's still pretty good. Yeah, that's, a lot. that's a that lot. That is a lot. So it's just something at the moment, hospital fees are so expensive for any sort of cosmetic thing, but you could do isolated tummy or love handles and you can cut the cost in dramatically setting. in a clinic setting safely. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. But then the other one we're looking at is the um, Venus Versa with the Tribella, which does the radio um, radio fractional tightening and mm-hmm. the um, uh, IPL for pigment um, and redness and 
Um, it's got another sort of heat setting as well. We're looking at that one as well. Great. Very That's good. Pretty cool. So I guess the question on everyone's lips, well, especially mine was, you're a plastic surgeon, but you're doing hair. How does how does that work? Because I guess traditionally we we normally hear about places like you know Advanced Hair Studio and Trichologists and those sort of tend to be the people that I, I guess Jake as well probably associate with sort of solutions for hair replacement. Not that I've you're looked the into it. About hair. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you're looking. This is the episode me. for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. Um, and look, it's by it's in our curriculum. Not that we cover it in great depth. Um, for me, I thought the same as you. Um, but 10 years ago, I went to one of the American plastic surgery meetings and there was a session on hair transplant. And so I went along and it was fantastic. It was uh, held by a guy called Jack Fisher, who's a plastic surgeon. Gosh, I think he's in Louisville, um, but I'd have to double check that. Yep. And uh, it's it's sort of went through the whole process, but they were doing um, the strip method, which is, um, it's called FUT, so yeah. follicular low unit transfer and the downside for that is that it just leaves a big scar on the back of the head now some mm. of them will heal up okay some of them won't and a great majority probably won't and even if you shave your head you'll see the scar yeah it looks uh, like so, you're removing carpet around a house doesn't it you just it doesn't, you're just like it doesn't, cutting out a section it doesn't then... look good it just doesn't look good so you you know if somebody it's, it's generally taken from that safe donor area which we can talk about but mm. I think at some stage, once you lose your hair to a certain point, you make that decision that you're going to shave. Yeah. And then you're kind Stop of stuck. Stop looking at me. <laughs> I mean, just, just when my head's... I'll look at the, I'll look at the wall. Look at Jake. Um, <laughs> just um, don't look at my temples. Okay. Okay. No, they're not they're vain, actually yeah. fine. You're, you don't qualify for hair loss there. Oh, damn. Um, okay. So um, anyway, I went to that and I came back and I thought, this is really interesting. Um I've got a good friend who was conscious of losing some hair at the front and at his temples. His wife is significantly younger and more attractive than him, mm. despite him being a very attractive man, just in case he hears this. <laughs> uh, and uh, he's he's always been concerned about this. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I met a colleague at um, a non-surgical conference and I noticed that his hairline had improved. So mm. I spoke. I knew him well enough to broach the topic and he told me that he'd been to Spain. He gave me the name of the um, surgeon who did the operation. I got in contact, took my friend over to Spain. Um, he had a few thousand grafts in the uh, front of his hairline. Um, I sat in, spoke to the surgeon, spent a couple of days there and then um, came back and we thought, wow, I've got to get into this. This is life-changing. Yeah. So he was very... Um, he was very excited by that. So I sort of sat on that. I started looking at um, what training maybe I'd need to do and what equipment I'd need to get. And then by chance at another conference, I came across um, Andrew Nutman, who has Samson Medical Technology. Mm. And I was talking about the PRP technology and he mentioned there was a machine that he was thinking of bringing in. So we can talk about the different technologies as we go through. Yeah. But essentially the machine is... There's a couple on the market, but what they do is they speed up that harvesting process. Yeah. Um, and that's why I looked into doing that rather than a motorised Can I wheel you back about 10 mm -hmm. steps? So David sort of alluded to it, but, you know, when we when we try and even find someone to do this podcast, we really struggled, didn't we? Mm. We, um, we know that obviously you're not a trichologist. I mean, who should be doing this? Or, or what are the steps that a doctor, you know, if I wanted to do this, how, how would I even get into it? Because it seems like a really murky, weird world. Correct. Um, look, in America, it's very well-established 
business and we know um, in Asia and Turkey it's been well established. Um, I'm not as familiar with the rules in the UK. Um, in America, it's generally done by plastic surgeons, dermatologists, and they will work um, with a team of tech. Um, technicians. Yeah. If they do a strip method, the doctor will actually excise the strip. The technicians will cut that up and then they will implant it um, after usually the doctor makes all of the incision sites. Yeah. Um, and the same happens with um, the machines. They have specific texts that will go out. It's very unusual for the surgeon to actually, or the dermatologist, to do the harvesting themselves. They'll get the text to do it right. with the machine. In Australia, the machine, you just need to be certified by the smart graft company that you're competent in using the machine. Yes. So you don't have to be a doctor? You don't, but you need to be a doctor to be injecting all of the local anaesthetic to do the procedure. Yes, okay, that makes sense. And I sense. believe in America, they need to work under the supervision of a doctor. Um, so, I, I mean, I've, as a plastic surgeon, I'm, I'm able to do that. Initially, we'll be doing all of the stuff ourselves, but we will be training up some technicians to help yeah, okay. down the track. Um, but overall, I think there is a lot of confusion and there's a lot of distrust and lack of knowledge in the general population. Yeah. Um, I think also it's sort of very monetized and I think perhaps um, a little bit of distrust and maybe a feeling that you're going to be taken advantage of. Um, yeah, I mean, we were talking off air, weren't we, about it's a little bit like the fat loss industry where, you know, you're selling this dream of hair you're going to have your hair back mm -hmm. and if you go into the back of any you know even newspaper you might find an ad for some magic pill or some crazy right. laser thing that you wear and there's a that's lot right of massive industry and yeah. then you know a lot of sites that will sell <clears throat> essentially prescriptions for finasteride um and solutions that contain rogaine when really you, you don't need any special service you can go to your gp and your chemist for those sorts of things yeah like would, the, would your GP sort of necessarily feel qualified to, to field those questions and know when to use oh, it? Look, again, there's a varied um, range in expertise amongst GPs. Yeah. Um, we always used to say in the hospital system that the, the GPs you hear about are the bad ones because the good ones deal with everything. Yeah. And I think it's like um, GPs these days deal with depression. They deal with a lot of issues. And I think hair loss in men is something that's probably – not unfamiliar to them. Yeah. It's more common for women to go to their GPs to ask about hair um, because it's still seen as perhaps a little bit more natural for a woman to go bald, whereas yeah. men, we just take it for granted, even though there are some health studies that look at um, the perception of people with hair loss and they're generally seen as less attractive, less healthy. Sorry, David. <laughs> I didn't look at him when I said that, but there, there was a Harvard study that looked at that. So that is sort of a general perception. So yeah. um, I think... Oh, I can totally Mostly, understand that. You know, I think GPs any man would, would GPs say. know that Propecia and Rogaine um, are treatments for hair loss. And I don't know that they necessarily endorse the other companies. Yeah. Okay, so just the personal impact of um, hair loss is um, a recent survey conducted by the International Society for Hair Restoration Surgery um, found 60% of hair loss patients would rather have more hair than money or friends. Mm. Um, some people don't have any of those things. 47% um, would spend their life savings to regain their full head of hair and 30% would give up sex to have their hair back. Wow. Um, and just the industry is huge and it's growing, excuse me, every year. Um, 
the latest figures were released in 2017 and they showed that um, between 2014 and 2016, there was a 64% increase up to $4.1 billion in terms of the value of the industry. Um, So that doesn't include all of the non-surgical treatments and all the lotions and potions and devices. Um, They're projecting it will be over $20 billion by 2024. Jeez. Wow. Um, of course, there are downsides, uh, as we know to this. So there's the biggest areas of growth have been in Asia and the Middle East. I think most people are familiar with um, the production line services in Turkey. There's a varied range. Um, some are very, um, very production line and, yeah. and some are a little bit more um, boutique. Yeah, I've got um, some injectable clients who've, one's been to Turkey, one's been to Albania because he's from Albania, mm-hmm. one's been to Hungary. And actually, I mean, thank God they've all been happy and safe and presumably in their own country they understand the nuances. Yeah. But um, it's, it seems to be the well one of the number one things where people will leave their own country to go for That's because right. it's a lot cheaper. That's right. The pr- it's a better price point yeah. to, even if they have the flight. The negatives um, are that they're in a foreign country unless they're originally from there or they're familiar with the culture or they know the language, makes it a little bit more comfortable. But... Um, they're essentially lying, you know, flat for about four hours while they're having the hair harvested. And then when they turn over, often they're just sort of sitting there a little bit uncomfortably and they don't have anything to do. And it's like a conveyor belt service, it, it, isn't it? It is. It is. And so, um, but it's cheap labour. Um, I've had a couple of Uber drivers, because I often will talk to my other Uber driver or cab driver about hair. Yes. Um, and some of them have been to the Middle East and they've all been very happy. Yeah. Um, one did go to another service here and wasn't happy. Um, Interesting. Which put them off. Yeah. Um, and I did have um, the husband of a patient who had been to Turkey for one lot, but he found the whole day so uncomfortable that he would consider having it done here, even at a, an increased price. So wh- what are we talking about, the price difference? Like what factor? Oh, it's... Look, if you count flights, some of them will be doing it for 2,000 euros. And then if you add flights on, they're probably spending 10,000. And realistically, for about 2,000 graphs here, it's going to be closer to $20,000. 20,000. We can talk about that. The other um, thing to be aware of is that um, we talk about graphs, not hairs. And anybody who talks about uh, pricing by the hair, that's a little bit of a red flag. Hmm. it sounds like a lot, a thousand graphs, two thousand. What does that actually kind of look like in terms so, of the surface area? Or well, you have um, you have about a um, hundred thousand hairs on your head. Right. Well, that's what you start with before there's any sort of loss. Um, the density you have about seventy follicular units per square centimetre. Now, follicular unit is uh, the natural sort of grouping of, that hairs grow in and they'll usually have one to four thick hairs which are called terminal hairs and one thin hair which is a vellus hair and they're sort of all clustered together so if I showed you an enlarged picture you'd see little clumps you might see a single hair and then you'd see a clump of four a clump of three so when we harvest them we just take those. Now, single hairs are used at the front of the hairline um, because they're more natural. Yes. And you use the thicker hair, the, sorry, the, the higher density units further back. Okay, interesting. Um, so, you know, obviously the more hairs you have per square centimetre, the greater the density. Yeah. Shall we talk about um, sort of patterns of hair loss and, yeah, and so maybe look, men and women? The 
Um, well, maybe also the reasons as well. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was sort of like, maybe it's genetic, maybe it's like lifestyle, like people that might take like things like steroids and, and so on. Yeah. So, so the other thing I should mention, we spoke about the follicular units. The other thing is that we'll mention later is the growth phases. So there's three growth phases of hair. Mm. There's the growing phase, which is called anagen, which lasts usually about three years, but can last up to seven years. And 90% of your hairs are in that state. Then there's catagen, which is um, a transitional phase, which lasts for a few weeks. Um, and then there's telogen, which is the resting phase. And that lasts three to six months. And 10% of your hairs are in that at any one time. So it's normal to lose about 100 hairs a day. And those Ooh. are the hairs that are intelligent. So, you know, some people will get a little bit nervous. Some people might notice that, but that's normal. Yes. So you lo you have um, a thinning um, of your hair is visible when you've lost 50% of your hair density. That's quite a lot, really, 50, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it also, um, the texture of your hair, the contrast with your scalp um, and whether it's curly will also have an impact mm. on you know, if, if you've got very dark hair and a pale scalp, you're going to look thinner than yes. somebody who's got a pale scalp and grey hair. Yeah, yeah, That's absolutely. Right. Um, so the patterns of loss, um, generally you'll get diffuse, patchy or pattern loss. And then there are some sorts of hair loss that are scarring and non-scarring. Yeah. So that's sort of a general overview. But the most common sort of hair loss is um, pattern baldness. So androgenic um, alopecia that occurs in 95% of cases both men and women so the other less common causes are um, the uh, specific alopecias which there are some autoimmune um, generally these fall into the scarring and the non-scarring varieties then there are other causes maybe they've had trauma such as a burn or post-surgical can just give areas of hair loss um, can stress like really yeah, cause so the, your hair then to fall out? the other sorts of things that you look at are um, your health overall so mm. stress if you have a look in the literature it, it's a little bit contentious. Some people say, no, it doesn't really cause anything. And other people say, yes, it does. Mm. My impression has been that in predisposed individuals, yes, stress will have a big impact. Yeah. Um, essentially, if your body is heavily stressed, whether by disease or some sort of event going on, you'll divert your resources elsewhere. Mm. And hairs are very high, have a very high metabolic rate. So they're one of the things that will generally suffer. Okay, interesting. So, so that's that um, like part of the flight or fight response where your body just goes into like, just survival sort of mode? Yeah, yeah exactly. so it just, okay. Yeah. So nutrition will have an effect, um, you know, anemias, iron deficiency, um, if you have extreme weight loss or eating disorders, and essentially you're just, you just don't have the, the building blocks to mm. make hair. Um, also toxicity, if you have an excess of certain um, chemicals, that's not good for you. Mm -hmm. Some medications, there's a huge range of medications that, can cause hair loss. Um, I'll touch on the steroids in a little bit. Chemotherapy, of course. Chemotherapy um, is targeting high turnover cells. And so yeah. that's why hair is often targeted. These days they put a, um, a cold cap on which can preserve the hairs for most um, sorts of treatment. Um, autoimmune disease is a big cause, perhaps a little bit more common in women. Um, thyroid problems, whether you, are, you have an overactive or an underactive thyroid can impact on it. Um, and then other things that can damage your hair 
which again, people don't necessarily put into the category of hair loss. Uh, you know, if you dye your hair, if you use chemicals for straightening or um, perming, um, teasing. I know my mother used to tease her hair a lot. Or it's What's called back, teasing? back brushing. So you, you basically comb the hair the wrong way. Right. But the hair is like, it's, it's scale, it has scales. And so you're essentially breaking Destroying it if you do it. that. Yeah. Um, rubber bands, tension. We don't have a high African-American population here, or Polynesian um Population, but in the US, um, the hairstyles with braiding yes. put a lot of tension, and that's a relatively common cause. Yeah. Um, and hairspray, hairspray actually causes your hairs to stick together. And so, if you put hairspray in um, and go to bed, you're you're actually you're making your hairs a little bit more um, fragile. Ah. So you don't do that. Well, you don't um, have that problem, do you, David? It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's shaved off before I had so the chance to. Steroids. Um, so. In, People who are you know, bodybuilding, doing that sort of thing, any sort of anabolic steroid can stimulate um, the androgen receptors, and those are the ones that like will uh, like testosterone. So, um, also human growth hormone yeah. is directly linked to hair loss. There's also um, whey products. If the cows have been given steroids, mm. they can potentially have steroids in them. Um, DHEA and then um, prednisolone. So any sort of a relatively strong dose um, steroid will hmm. potentially cause, usually it will exacerbate it in somebody who's got a pre-existing um, or genetic predisposition. So these steroids, so correct me if I'm wrong, are causes because of the testosterone converts to dehydrotestosterone or DHT? DHT, so dihydrotestosterone. Dihydrotestosterone, um, and that's what causes the hair to fall out, is it? Yes, but... You know, it's it's really if you've got that genetic susceptibility to it. Mm. Um, so the main, the actual genetic basis, people used to say it was your your mother's father, but it's polygenetic. Um, it's not linked to the X chromosome. It can be on any chromosome. There's at least four that have been identified. So you can get it from anywhere. And it's also, um, it expresses itself differently. So you, you two could be brothers, yeah. for instance, and you could have a full head of hair and you may have, you know, loss. You can't necessarily always you predict it. And so it can skip generations. However, in the consult, it's, it's important to get a good idea of the family, his, family history and the patterns of loss on both sides because it can give you an idea of where someone might end up. Yeah. So I was going to say, you know, we, we were talking about who is the best person to do hair. Well, clearly there's a, a thousand medical causes and so presumably it should be someone like yourself rather than, you know, a generic clinic with just technicians or salespeople because you're not going to pick up on this stuff. That's right. It shouldn't be salespeople. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, no, because we have to remember at the end of the day, this is, we're selling a medical service. Yes. You know, and this is, this is a problem in the cosmetic industry as well. We're not, we shouldn't forget that we're these are elective procedures we're doing on someone yes and you can stuff them up if you don't do them properly yeah. absolutely um, just to be completely waste your money if you're treating the exactly, wrong cause exactly and also i think the industry already is is not necessarily trusted well and i think there's a, a very um there's a calling for you know um a service to be set up where people can actually Trust, trust it and yeah, trust absolutely. it can get a good service. You know, and we have a similar kind of thing with, I guess, cosmetic injectables. It's probably not as bad as that, thank God. But, you know, there's a variability of service. And, um, you know, if it, if it gets trivialised, then, then you lose that 
quality, I guess. No, that's right. I mean, just on the cosmetic side, I was referred someone a couple of weeks ago who had a vascular event in their chin. Mm. Um, and when she reported pain at the time, the clinic laughed at her. And when she got home, she rang up and she said, something's wrong. I'm in a lot of pain. They laughed at her. It's, it's all discoloured. And they told her that she must have had a very low pain threshold. Oh, my mm. God. I know. This is an occlusion, was it? It was an occlusion. She was seen by another um, cosmetic doctor. That's terrifying. Afterwards, and I sort of then saw her because he was going away. But yeah, that's the sort of attitude you don't, yeah, you don't yeah. want. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's difficult. It seems to be a um, like a, a systemic problem because it's an industry with lots of different people from different backgrounds: medical, non-medical, doctors, nurses, plastic surgeons, cosmetic surgeons. And there's also the the commercial realities of at the end of the day, you're providing a medical service, but people also need to make money. No, that's and it, right. And it's always trying to find that that tipping or that that sort of happy middle ground where you're not compromising the quality of service um, and care for your clients or patients, but mm -hmm. then also having a financially sustainable business so you can feed your family and feed yourself. And no, it's, absolutely. It's very tricky. Absolutely. It's a very expensive business, um, not to mention the tax department. Um, yeah, your silent <laughs> business partner. Yeah, silent business <laughs> yeah. partner. Exactly, exactly. So the testosterone is converted to dihydrotestosterone by an enzyme called 5-alpha reductase. Yeah. Now, this happens in um, women as well. Women do make testosterone, but they don't make quite as much. And um, theirs is generally converted to estrogen. Right. So um, can we break this into layman's terms for people listening? So men have more testo testosterone than women. Yes. And for whatever reason, and presumably you know the answer, it's being converted to something that's killing the hair. That's right. That's right. So there is, um, there's a couple of different receptors for the DHT. Right. There's one um, on the hair follicle, and that tends to be the one that is susceptible. Um, so the medications that we'll talk about, finasteride, yes. actually blocks that. Okay. Blocks that happening on the in the hair follicle. Yes. It also acts on the um, the receptors in the prostate as well. Mm. So that's a DHT blocker for DHT blocker. Right. That's right. Okay. And what are the other side effects of that? Is fertility affected? Fertility isn't. It is. Um, there's less than two percent of um, complications or side effects associated with finasteride. Yeah. Um, and those are sexual. So whether it's delayed ejaculation or um, okay. decreased libido, right. inability to get an erection, those are the sorts of issues. Mm -hmm. S some people find that they decline after a couple of months, but I've also read that if you can decrease the dose, even to, um, so the regular dose is one milligram, if you decrease it to even um, 0.75, you can um, decrease the side effects, but only minimally reduce the effectiveness. Mm. So that's perhaps worth trying. So what the DHT does is it sort of stops that process of um, hair loss. And technically, the, the process is called miniaturization. So the thick hairs um, become thinner and eventually they'll fall out. Yeah. And the growing time becomes shorter and the resting phase become, becomes longer. So finasteride works to reduce that. Yeah. There is something that you've probably not heard of, which is post-finasteride syndrome, which is a big thing in America. Yeah. Um, some people say it doesn't exist. Others say that it does. There is a very comprehensive website. Their um, side effects are, are psychological in nature. Some have compared it to a sort of a post-traumatic wow. issue. There are some psychotic symptoms. Um, one of my visits to Kansas City, um, that doctor has 
thousands of patients and he's had a, almost, I don't think he's had any reported cases of it. Mm. So his advice is to have prospective patients um, uh, read the website and then yep. make a decision as to whether or not they want to, want to take it. Yeah, that's um, fair. But the importance of finasteride shouldn't be underestimated because it can stop you losing hair. And it's yeah. a lot easier than using Rogaine or Minoxidil, which is one of the other solutions, which is a topical shampoo. Um, and you've got to do that every day. In mm. fact, sometimes you've got to do it twice a day. Yeah. So for a woman, <clears throat> that's actually quite impractical. But for a guy, <clears throat> it's a lot more Someone was telling easier. me that they can take a pill, minoxidil pills. No, minoxidil was originally a, an arterial vasodilator used to treat severe hypertension. Yes. Um, I'm not familiar with an oral okay. preparation for I mean, that, that would be a lot more convenient, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, but I think that would if actually cause um, dangerous drops in your blood pressure. Sure, I'm not I would not, not, not advise that. I'm just saying um, I've heard of it. Yes, yeah. there is a... Um, there is now a topical um, preparation with finasteride as well. Okay, right, yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, so all these things really are just stopping it from getting worse. They're not actually going right. to reverse anything. They won't. If you've lost the hair, goodbye. It's not coming back. Go and see Lisa. And what about salt palmetto? I've heard stuff about yeah, that Yeah, there as are well. some herbal remedies right. that basically they're DHT blockers. Right. And so that's why they'll work. Potentially the concentration won't be as high. Okay. So that's, I think... You know, this is the, the, the problem with herbal remedies is that you can't necessarily quantify exactly what the quantities are and you can't repeat them in different preparations. And yeah. so that's the big difference. Okay. Um, and I'm guessing compliance is very difficult. You know, people don't want to put shampoo on or lotions no. on so and I take think, pills. And yeah. So I've got a couple of people that have been on um, finasteride for 10 years and they're not having any significant problems and... You know, even they can realise compared to their siblings that also have hair loss, <laughs> they're doing really well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in in with transplant patients, you can't stop the loss of your normal hair. What you're doing is you're taking hairs that are resistant to the DHT, and you're putting them into the areas that the hair is gone. Yeah. So it's important for patients to be aware of this because it can impact results down the track. I saw someone last week who didn't want to be on tablets. At all, so I just had to say, look, you will potentially lose the hair you've got. The reason I'd advocate you taking finasteride is that you're going to keep as much of your hair yeah. as possible. So we can put some hairs in there to thicken it up, but potentially over the next ten years, you're going to lose more. We might need to get you back to do some more. So would there be a danger that you implant, say, the front of the hairline, and then they sort of get a bald space behind that? That is that is the art of hairline design, and that is what you want to avoid. So <laughs> right. um, you've got to. That'd be a sort funny of we, look. we are no no <laughs> absolutely like a, new, a new trending fashion. Ronaldo, the call it the um, the reverse mullet. What well, do you the think? Brazilian Ronaldo. He had like a wedge at the front and then nothing <laughs> yeah. at the back. Well, this is actually that. one of the problems. I used to do flap surgery, and Den um, Donald Trump supposedly had this. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, it takes a, a flap at the side here and it brings it across the front. And what happens is they have a, you know, maybe a couple of centimetres of hair at the front, which they then comb back, or in Donald's case, down and up and yeah. back. Um, but then they're bald behind it when they lose all the other hair. So yeah. it, it's not good. It's not good at all. And it looks very unnatural. Okay, fair um, enough. So, yes, that is all part of the art. You've got to consider that. It's um, It's been described, um, the, the scalp is like a canvas that gets larger mm -hmm. and your donor hairs are like a paint supply that is becoming 
smaller and smaller. smaller. Yes. So you've got to balance that. So what about the different we've spoken we've spoken about patterns. Can you just explain what that means and I guess maybe how it differs between male and female and sure, other sorts sure. of hair goes it goes, but it's uh... no. So the um, in males we use a classification system um, to grade the severity, and that's called the Norwood scale. Hmm. Um, there are seven different um, degrees of severity, although really um, we don't consider one and two to be hair loss. Um, one is generally a, a juvenile type hairline. So initially, um, boys will have um, a more rounded hairline, like a female hairline. Mm-hmm. And then, not all of them, some will keep that for the rest of their life. I think Ronald Reagan and um, Bill Clinton are examples of that. Mm. Um, but then as they get a little bit older, the front of their hairline will recede a little bit and will become more... Um, uh, trying to get sort it right. V-shaped? Like yeah, the V-shaped. V-shaped. So if it's, yeah, um, yeah V-shaped. Yeah. Um, now, that's not necessarily hair loss. There'll be a little bit of frontotemporal recession as well. I'm still clinging on to the fact that I'm normal. <laughs> no, no, I'd say that, I'd say you're a two. Okay. To be good. honest, yeah. you're, you're fine. Um, so, but some people might be aware that they are, they've got these peaks up here and they're concerned about that, but yeah. it's not really what we would consider loss. So then, but the areas um, that hair is lost in tend to be sort of regions. And so that frontal temporal area, the triangles, they will march backwards. Then the frontal hairline we'll can march backwards, backwards yeah. and the crown. So you eventually turn into like the monk sort of look. So that's you've got the, the worst around. case. So the hair that's left is usually the hair that's deemed resistant to DHT and that is the monk or the horseshoe shaped pattern. There are a couple of little variations. So some people keep the hair on the crown um, and they'll just lose it from the front. So Gene Hackman is an example of that. Okay. Um, And others will keep um, more of the front hair and lose more on the crown. There are also some people that will keep what's called um, an isolated forelock. So uh, Jude Law's got a nice little bit of hair here. Yeah. You can keep that. And yeah. they, they sort I'm of lose it everywhere these, else. Yeah, I remember. I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. And that's actually – so when, when you're sort of thinking about um, the hair loss patterns, you just want to get an idea of where they might end up. Yeah. Um, so that uh, – um, You're planning for the future, I guess. Plan, huh? Exactly. And the other things are it's much – the aim is to sort of frame the face. So you really – you sort of want to have a connection from the side bits and over – a lot of people say, oh, I'm boarding on the crown. But really, you don't necessarily get as much bang for your buck if you go to, to that because most people you're going to deal with will be looking at you from the front. Yeah. So thickness and density in the front are perhaps more important. The crown is also um, it's sort of called a billboard because it's sitting a little bit more vertically. So you're looking directly at it. So you actually need a much higher density mm. um, for it to appear um, normal. normal. Yeah. yeah. So our general advice is to concentrate on the front, um, thicken up some areas. You sort of work backwards, work a little bit in reverse, and then leave the crown for later. Of course, you can do multiple sessions. um, And one of the things you do is you can then sort of do a little bit everywhere, but then come back and increase the density. Is that purely because most people are limited by budget? Or if they said, I've got a million dollars, just do what I need, could you do it all in one go? Well, they might do that in Turkey, but I would not do that because it's a very long process. Okay. So it takes a day, I think, just for 
you know, um, everybody's sanity, um, <laughs> yeah. it's better to actually divide it. And usually you do. Some people only do a thousand, up to a thousand graphs a day. Hmm. But generally you sort of look at doing maybe two thousand, two and a half right. in a session. And then generally you'd wait for everything to heal. So wait at least four months. Um, but ideally you sort of wait a year until you can see what's all grown in hmm. and then okay. process, do the second it? stage. Okay. So the women have a different pattern. Um, they tend to preserve the front of the hairline um, and that is generally because they have more estrogen uh, protection there. Hmm. Um, and it's a little bit different though. It doesn't quite work and you can't really use finasteride in women Um it's not as effective, um, but it's also for women who have the potential to have children, it can cause um, defects in male fetuses. So that's right. yep. that's not advised. They can use minoxidil um, and they have a slightly higher concentration. But again, the practicalities of a woman washing her hair once a day, let alone twice a day, I'm telling you, it's not happening. Well, David and I were speaking, I can't remember, was it yesterday? I don't understand how it's working. So it's increasing the blood supply to the hair. Yeah, so minoxidil is um, a little bit different. That is... Um, Why does that... It does increase the blood supply. And again, there's a, there's a little bit of controversy there. But it also upregulates vascular endothelial growth factor. Right. And it's also thought to have some sort of T-cell immunosuppressive effect. Mm -hmm. So that's perhaps why it works. So it tends to... Um, tip cells that are in the resting phase into the growing phase. Okay. Uh, it works best when used in conjunction with finasteride. They sort of synergistically help each other. Yeah. It's important to also note that they take about six months to work, but if you stop them, you'll drop back down to baseline within six months. Yeah, so you've basically so you've got, got to life. keep doing it. That's are, right. Are these like the rest of your life type yeah, things? Or that's do you, right. Do you reach a certain point no. in your life where your testosterone might have dropped or you're getting older and it's like, well... No. So it's no, no, not really, because okay. you keep making testosterone. The, yep. the other problem is that with everybody, you'll just have a slow, very slow, diffuse thinning of your hair. Your yeah. hair shafts will become thinner, and where you might have had four hairs in your follicular units, you might drop down to two by the time you're seventy or eighty. So you've sort of got that in the background as well as the genetic susceptibility to everything mm, else. Okay. Um, so the women. Women don't have as many drug options. There is spironolactone as well. But again, I wouldn't prescribe that. I'd send women to a dermatologist for um, to make sure that um, they get the right treatment because potentially in women there's going to be a few other issues that might be going on. So it's worth doing a range of blood tests yeah. and just checking for any autoimmune Anemia markers. Anemia and thyroid, like yeah, you said. Yeah, but certainly the genetic or the... Um, the pattern baldness, it's um, often termed a bit of a Christmas tree. So it's usually along the, the part line and it just sort of they lose it there. Yeah. yeah, but some women can also get just a diffuse loss of hair. So yeah. it's just generalised thinning. Okay. So with um, postmenopausal women, they have less estrogen, so they get less estrogen protection. So they yep. there's sort of an imbalance in their estrogen-androgen ratio and so potentially they get more hair loss there. Another um, group are the um, um, postpartum women. So during pregnancy, when they have increased levels of estrogen, they tend to have good hair growth and then everything sort of reverts back post-pregnancy. Okay. And so they get um, perhaps some, they so notice more like hair falling out. More. That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. 
we might want to split this into two episodes because we've still got to cover all the ways in which we treat this uh, hair yeah. loss issue. Yeah. We didn't talk about the laser therapy. Or the okay, we'll talk yeah, about that. And then once that. we finish that, then we can move on okay. to um, episode two when we talk about all yeah. the different ways you treat it and FUE and all right. the other acronyms. Sounds good. So the laser, it's called low-level laser therapy. Um, normally people associate laser with hair removal, but yeah. that's not the case here. It's sort of a, not a heat-producing laser. It's, um, do you know, I could not actually find the, the frequency anywhere. Right. But um, essentially for what, it's for like hair a, removal? No. For, oh. for, for <laughs> I can tell this. you the hair removal frequency. No, I can't. No, no, for this. <laughs> yeah, it's, right. it's sort of a non-heat-producing right. laser. So it's, it's actually more of... like a... Would light, it be an infrared yeah, range, like a I'm guessing? Red or? LED type light. Yeah. yeah. And um, so it's like a little cap, isn't it? Yeah. Well, there's a few different things. Now, when you look at them on the internet, they are they help proudly have the FDA cleared badge, but there is a big difference between cleared and approved. Now, finasteride and minoxidil are both cleared. Mm -hmm. Sorry, both approved, which means they've gone through rigorous testing. Yes. So it means yes, they're safe and they work. FDA cleared means it just won't hurt you. Right. Okay, so... <laughs> so you could just be wearing, like, Christmas decorations exactly, on your head. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> so there's a couple of different um, levels of device. So there's the in-office devices, which, you know, for practical reasons are often a bit more um, powerful. Um, but you need to go in a couple of times a week for about six weeks and then once a week for, you know, another 16 weeks or so and then top-ups. I don't know why I'm so, really sceptical of the, the yeah. lights. So, and then you can get um, sceptical about home devices. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> the home devices, which you'll see, um, you know, the caps or the combs, um, and you just put those on two or three times a week. Now, they're proposed to increase blood flow to the scalp. Um, I need to touch on that controversy with the whole blood flow relation to hairs too. Um, and there's also proposed that there's some sort of chem, uh, photochemical reaction that stimulates the hair cell. Mm. But there's actually been no good studies. There are some studies that have been done by the manufacturers but and they'll report significant increases. But when you look at them, some of the patients had 12 hairs, <laughs> right. which in, increased to, you know, 19 hairs. So they're not really... It's not a robust... Um, and that might have not, been just hairs coming out of the resting phase, maybe. <laughs> exactly. So it's not really good evidence. Um, and again, they're not permanent. It takes about a year to see results and it'll go away if you don't use it. I mean, I guess if you're desperate, it's not going to harm. No, that's right. And you actually got to get... It has to get to the scalp, which is... You can't just put a hat on and hope... So for your hair, if your hair flattens there when you put a hat on, yes. it's going to cover up your scalp. Yeah. So you um, need to do some spikes first so and then... So maybe the, the actual <laughs> the combs or some that have prongs that go down to the scalp mm. will be more effective. So you need to... Uh, if you're going to do the check, I want to shave your head. I want to... <laughs> we're well, going to do that live. Uh, we've, <laughs> we've discussed sort of doing... Um, off-site uh, podcast. Yeah. We'll go to Lisa's office. No, no, we'll... you're welcome. Actually, you can come to my opening party yeah, for cool. sure. Well, we'll um, check out all your gizmos yeah, yeah, and yeah. lasers. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. Um, so I have got a colleague who um, uses the laser. She has rheumatoid arthritis and she uses all sorts of things and she thinks the laser works. It does have a better um, response in women mm. and it is better in combination with other therapies. And again, how do you know what's working? Yeah. You don't know which particular, so too many yeah. confounding factors. So the thing I was going to touch on with the blood supply to the scalp is there's a bit of controversy there. Some people say, well, if you increase the blood supply to the scalp, you'll increase your hair. But it's, you know, the thing is that once you've lost your hair, you don't need that blood supply and that's why it's gone. Right. So 
So you're you're basically giving blood supply to something that no longer requires exactly. So requires it's not it's not it's not there's no clear answer. It's a little bit like the chicken and the egg. What goes first, the hair or the blood supply? Because you can actually put hair into scars, and they'll take. So presumably you're talking about microcirculation, not you know general blood supply to your scalp. Yeah. Because. Yeah, your you scalp's still alive. No, no, that's right, that's right. So, but they're talking about increased flow and perhaps minoxidil being an arteriolar um, dilator yeah. means that, um, you know, the little... Um, micro... Uh, micro sort of arteriolas that, that sort of are used in temperature regulations. Maybe they're all opened up. Oh, the other thing I should say, touching on the microcirculation, is smoking because smoking be decreases... Um, circulation, oxygen, to, this, oxygen yeah. to your scalp. And whenever I talk about smoking with patients, I talk about the three main things, which are um, the hydrogen, um, sorry, the nicotine itself, which is a vasoconstrictor. So that's decreasing what blood can get there. There's hydrogen, sorry, um, hydrogen um, monoxide, Carbon monoxide, Carbon sorry, monoxide. I'm going mad now, I'm confi- <laughs> confusing them all. Carbon monoxide, which displaces oxygen. Yes. And then there's um, cyanide, hydrogen cyanide, which um, uncouples oxidative phosphorylation in the cell. So you're getting less oxygen there, less blood there, less oxygen there, and then you can't use it all. Yeah. And so the same thing will happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you smoke. I mean, the monoxide was interesting because it was sort of discovered by accident that people were retaining their hair, but they were trialing a blood pressure tablet. Yeah. So that, that almost indirectly suggests that it really does work. It's not just uh, marketing well, no, it does. or... It, absolutely. But it's, it's, it's more the, the ease with which it's used. Yeah. Um, just, just to clarify, with the cigarettes, is it actually... So you're saying it's the nicotine, nothing to do with the tobacco that's causing these issues, or is it purely oh, all the chemicals thousands, in the there's, Yeah, it's... It's there's thousands of, of chemicals in a cigarette. In yeah. a cigarette, but, but if you were just to get like pure tobacco, that's different to well, like, the, a, like a commercial cigarette. You're still going to get um, cyanide. You're still going to get um, carbon monoxide. So there's those yeah. are just the big three that I tell patients about when I'm just talking. Yeah. Because we're interested in plastic surgery, interested in wound healing, which is all about blood supply to the skin. So you want to maximise that. But if you smoke, you're hypoxic for an hour after each cigarette. Crazy. You don't yeah. realise how many chemicals are in those things. It's. Yeah, I know. It's... I know. So there is a there is a role in, in hair loss. And, but again, it's just going to be the people who are susceptible to it. Yeah, absolutely. It's also bad for wrinkles, obviously. I, yeah, it's just not good for looking know, good at no all. No one should smoke. No one should <laughs> smoke. No. Well, I've, I've never, I've, I, mean, I find it hard to understand because I've never been a smoker what the appeal is because it makes you look old, makes your skin yellow, makes your teeth yellow, makes your eyes yellow. Make you stink. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. It's awful. I can't understand people who wake up in the morning for a cigarette. <laughs> uh, look, um, Each anyway, their own, I guess. I know, absolutely. Well, maybe you just need to. It's, yeah. it's an addiction, really. Anyway, what? so the other thing is just the PRP. Oh, so yes. PRP, so platelet-rich plasma. That's a biggie. Um, yeah. Basically, it's got a group of growth factors and um, when you inject it into the scalp, again, it's it's one thing is it increases blood supply, but it it's um, it just sort of stimulates everything and it, it also acts on receptors around the hair follicle itself. Um, again, there's anecdotal evidence really for this yes. um, because a lot of the studies for PRP, they just haven't been um, – there's no uniform – 
um, collection method. Okay. There's no well, of um, course everyone's no uniformity. Blood is different. Yeah, but you don't get the same necessarily the same concentration. Yes. Um, and you don't know how many of the platelets are still alive because it also depends on how they've processed it, how long they've kept it before using it. Um, and you need to have at least five times the baseline concentration of platelets for actually even to be considered platelet rich. Yes. And again, if you dribble it on, it won't work. So, for instance, vampire facials are, are useless because. They need to get into the skin. But and wouldn't they sort of needle the skin first and then... No, you can't get in with needling. It needs to be injected. So factor four is another PRP formulation, yes. yeah. which um, that has no cells. So that is activated beforehand. So you can dribble that on. But is ideally that Sean you want Baldwin? to... He, yeah, he runs that, we're going to try and get that to... Okay. Um, no, that's kind of exciting. Um, but essentially, I mean, PRP, I think, is is very good for a lot of things, but we don't have good evidence just because of the, the lack of consistency mm. in formulations, preparations and studies. Yeah, and I guess that's why the anecdotal evidence or like results have been hit and miss. Some people think it's great, some that's people right. don't. It's so inconsistent. In, mm. in the hair transplant um, environment, we would inject it into the donor site because yeah. what it's got are the natural factors that you use for wound healing. So it's like giving a super boost yeah, to like wound healing. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, the donor sites for FUE heal up very quickly, but if you can accelerate that by injecting PRP. You can also bathe the hair grafts once you've harvested them in a little bit of PRP as well. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. You can inject the recipient site with PRP, but um, for practical reasons, I just think you've got enough sort of swelling there. I probably mm. wouldn't do it at, yeah. what about, um, at the time. What about sort of, you know, a month after once that raw wound has healed, just to sort of, you know, yeah. fertilise, I guess. Yeah, That's yeah, probably absolutely. the best word for it. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Well, that probably wraps things up for the first episode on the fly decision to, to split it into <laughs> yeah. two, but that's great. We're all about that well, here. We're, we're trying to keep to around 45, 50 minutes. We, we were um, getting too long in our earlier episodes. So, yeah, let's break this up into two. Cool. All right. So we'll, um, we'll uh, stop that here and we'll come back and we'll hear about all the solutions and grafts and maybe we'll talk about stem cell too because I want to ask about that too. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you.